When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, and welcome to Elemental, a podcast from RNZ celebrating the International Year of the Periodic Table. I'm Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology. And I'm Alison Balance, and this is episode 40, and today is about a really important element, iron. Indeed, it's so important that it actually gets its own age, the only element to do that. The Iron Age followed the Stone Age and the Bronze Age, in that order, And it became known as that because that's when humanity discovered how to obtain steel from iron ore. But before we start talking about that, as per usual, let's hit the vital statistics. So iron, chemical symbol Fe, atomic number 26, and the date of discovery is unknown. It's one of those ones that was known to the ancients, even if they couldn't get their hands on the pure stuff. So iron... Versus that symbol of F-E, what's the difference? Mm. Where do those names come from? Okay, so uh, the word iron actually comes from the Anglo-Saxon iron, spelt (laughs) I-R-E-N. But the chemical symbol F-E, again, this is another one of those elements that uh, when they were known to the ancients, they generally had a Latin name in that time. And the Latin name for iron is ferrum, and so from ferrum we get F-E. Well, the story of iron is really the story of how it helped create our modern world, isn't it? But where is iron itself created? Well, like I guess many of the lighter elements, um, iron is created in the interior of stars. And in fact, iron is the heaviest element that can be formed in the interior of stars through the nuclear fusion reaction. And basically, once iron starts forming in the middle of a star... It can't form anything heavier from that, and then basically what happens is the star runs out of fuel, and it's eventually going to end up as a a red giant and then a black hole, ultimately. Wow. Hmm. (laughs) Well, iron, or at least iron as steel, is ubiquitous in our lives. Is it also ubiquitous on the planet? Well, people who've been listening to the podcast episodes assiduously will have noticed that we perhaps told a little white lie back in the aluminium episode. Oh, Professor Blackman. I know, I know. It's a white lie. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But we said that aluminium, I said probably, (laughs) that aluminium was the most abundant metal on the planet. Now... There's two ways of looking at that. What uh, I said was technically correct if we're only talking about the Earth's crust. And so, in fact, that's true. Aluminium is the most abundant metal in the Earth's crust. Iron is the second most abundant metal. But uh, that conveniently ignores the fact that the core of the Earth is, in fact, mostly iron. Okay, so can I just run through to make sure I've got this right. So a quick reminder of the Earth's structure, starting from the middle, from the centre. We've got a solid inner core, a liquid outer core then the mantle, and finally this thin crust on the outside. So when you talk about the core, you're talking about both the solid and the molten bit here? 
Yes, indeed. Yep. So the inner and the outer bit, they might not have exactly the same composition, and nobody really knows, but overall it's thought that the core is roughly around about 80% iron. Um, the exact figure is up for debate at the moment. The rest is very probably nickel and a few other elements. And if you count all that up, then some estimates have iron basically comprising one-third of the mass of the Earth, which uh, is quite a lot. So how do other elements get down there with iron? Well, some elements uh, are what we call siderophiles, and that comes from uh, sideron iron and philia to love. Those elements that are siderophiles um, are some transition metals, and what happens is that they dissolve readily in iron, either as solid solutions or in the malted state, and then they eventually end up sinking to the core along with the iron. So their fondness for iron helps explain why these elements are relatively rare in the Earth's crust. Siderophile, that's a lovely word, iron-loving. I'll have to see if I can work out how to drop that into conversation from here on in. Now, of course, we've never been to the centre of the Earth, and we probably never will go because it's rather hot in there, so we still don't really know what's down there. But without it, there wouldn't be life as we know it. Yes, life wouldn't be life as we know without it. And that is explained by a theory known as the dynamo effect. And uh, that is the fact that molten iron moves. And so by moving, it creates an electrical current. And electrical currents have associated magnetic fields with them. And that gives rise to a protective magnetic field around the Earth and that protects us uh, from all of those nasty high-energy particles that are present in solar radiation. There is a heck of a lot of iron on planet Earth, or in planet Earth, should we say. But interestingly, you don't find iron in its native elemental state in nature, except if you're lucky enough to pick up a meteorite. So you mean I wouldn't find lumps of it lying around unless I happen to find a meteorite? Yeah, another nice little fact, I guess. And what we know from ancient civilizations is, in fact, that the first use of iron was, in fact, probably from meteorites. Egyptian tombs that date from around about 3,500 BCE contain iron ornaments, and they are thought to have come from meteors, A, because iron smelting wasn't known at that time, and B, because these ornaments contain around about 7.5% nickel, which seems to be par for the course for meteorite-derived iron. That's remarkable, because I think of meteors as being really rare things. I know that people wander around in Antarctica looking for them, because it's easy to find them out on the ice. Mm. But the fact that, obviously, enough of them have been lying around, that people have picked them up, looked at them and gone, oh, I think this might be something <laughs> useful. Can we use it? That's incredible. Yeah. But obviously... These days we don't rely on iron for meteorites, so what happened? Well, some bright spark found out how to smelt iron, and this was thought to be in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, around about 2000 BCE, and that was in fact during the Bronze Age. It didn't really catch on because it was actually inferior to bronze for many uses because pure iron is quite soft. And the real turning point came then when steel was discovered. And steel is just iron with a smidge of carbon in it. And that seems to have been first discovered in, again, what is now modern-day Iran. And that's when the Iron Age began. Now, you see various sort of dates uh, around the internet for the Iron Age. And it seems to have started in different places in the world at different times when people figured out how to actually smelt iron and make steel. And interestingly, it wasn't until around about the 1700s when people figured out that it was actually the carbon that was responsible for the strength of steel. 
and that was discovered, in fact, by a French entomologist. Oh, go the biologists. <laughs> <laughs> so why is steel so good? Well, it's certainly a heck of a lot stronger than pure iron. But I guess like pure iron, it suffers from the big problem of oxidation by atmospheric oxygen. And that's fancy talk for saying, in other words, it rusts. So how do we get around this rusting? Because steel is obviously very, very, very useful metal. So we can get around it by uh, making alloys with other metals, in particular nickel, tungsten, vanadium and manganese. And most importantly, if your iron contains 18% chromium and 8% nickel, you have yourself stainless steel. Now, iron not only set in motion the Iron Age, it was actually the catalyst for the entire Industrial Revolution, wasn't it? Oh, yes, very much so. In around about 1709, a guy by the name of Abraham Darby established a coke-fired blast furnace instead of charcoal, and um, he was able to produce cast iron using that. And so that led to the mass availability of inexpensive iron, and that was one of the factors that certainly led to the Industrial Revolution. So, you know, things like railways, think of how that contributed to, you know, the industrial economies. And iron was so important that railways were often known as iron roads. And in fact, the French for railway, chemin de fer, means that exactly, iron road. Ah, très bon. (laughs) And to really emphasise the importance of iron, iron accounts for around about 90% of all the metal that is refined on Earth, and that makes it by far and away the most used metal on the planet. So rust aside, which we can actually deal with, as you say, iron is not just incredibly useful for things like buildings and railways, but also for building life. Yes, essential for humans, and listeners may well know just what it does in the human body, or certainly one of the things that it does in the human body is to carry oxygen around in our blood. So it never fails to surprise me that actually we've only got around about four grams of iron in the average human. That seems not very much to carry out such an important function. So iron is an essential element for nearly all life, and as alluded to, Iron is a vital component of uh, proteins called hemoglobin and myoglobin. Those are the ones responsible for transporting oxygen in the body. And, in fact, the reason that our blood is red is thanks to the iron in it. Interesting fact, iron deficiency is the most common nutritional deficiency in the world. Hmm. Okay, give us another curious fact about iron. (laughs) Okay, so a guy by the name of Thales, he was a Greek philosopher, And uh, in 585 BCE, he wrote that pieces of iron that came from a place called Magnesia in western Turkey had the power to attract iron filings. And so he called these pieces of iron ore magnets after uh, the place from where they came, and the ore was called magnetite. I'd never thought about where the term magnet came from. That's fantastic. Well, this has been a siderophilic, there you go, episode of Elemental, all about, obviously, iron. And you can listen again to this or any preceding episode at rnz.co.nz slash chemistry. And keep an eye out there for all the forthcoming episodes too. And I couldn't let the iron episode end without mentioning two words, Steely Dan. We haven't had enough musical references of late. Very good. (laughs) You can find us as a podcast (laughs) from all the usual places. And thanks for your company today. We are back next time with Krypton, the element. 
But for now, it's bye from me, Alan Blackman. And me, Alison Balance. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.